All right, welcome back to Lindrop Hockey Podcast. We're in partnership with Black and Gold Hockey Productions. You're here with one co-host today, myself again. Uh, my father had to attend a uh, um, a, a friend's um, personal funeral with some family today. So unfortunately, my my father had to make a last minute trip to head back up to Boston. So um, we wish him well there and wish his friend Dan Knowlton as well with um, his family passing. But today we're excited. We're still going to be having on our special guest today. Um, right now, today we have with us Chase Rudy. So Chase's hockey journey began uh, when he was a teenager playing for various leagues such as the EBJCHL, the OJHL, and the BCHL from 2013 till 2018. Following his stint in the BCHL, Chase uh, eventually committed to playing and studying at the University of Windsor from 2018 till 2021. After his college days, he signed his first pro contract in the ECHL, appearing with the Fort Wayne Comets and Kansas City Mavericks for his first pro season. The 6'2", 200-pound-plus defenseman decided to take his talents across the pond this earlier this season, signing with the Manchester Storm in the EIHL, and has now been splitting his time in the ECHL as well, excuse me, suiting up for the Cincinnati Cyclones and now currently playing with the Toledo Walleye. It's been a busy season. I've been talking too much. We want to hear Chase talk about his career. So please welcome our guest today, Chase Rudy. How are you doing today, brother? Pretty good. I appreciate you having me on the Lindroth podcast. Uh, heard great things. And yeah, it's been a been a busy year for sure. Yeah, man, it's been a busy one. And again, we appreciate you taking the time um, to come on the show today. So Chase, we like to start at the beginning. As you know, we're going to go through your career to paint that picture. So um, before we jump to when you commit to University of Windsor, um, as I mentioned, you played for various uh, different junior leagues and such, it looks like. We've heard of the BCHL. We've even heard of the OJHL, but have not heard of the first one, the EBJCHL. Let's start with the unfamiliar one, the first one. Um, what can you say about that league and how does it compare to the other two leagues that we mentioned? Yeah, so that league's more of like a just a junior C league in Ontario there. Um, there's not, I think there's been a name change to the league since I think it's a little bit more simple now, the PJHL. Like <laughs> I can't even remember what the EBJC stood for, but uh, I was pretty young still in high school and was kind of done with the minor hockey thing. So I just went and played junior C for a season for my uh, hometown team. We ended up having an unbelievable squad that year and went to the uh, all Ontario final and lost in game seven, but it was a nice uh, stepping stone to kind of work my way up into the OJHL and, as you said, the BCHL eventually. But it was uh, it was fun. I mean, I was one of the younger guys in the team, but the guys still cared a lot about hockey, which made it nice for uh, the younger guys who were looking to move on with their careers. Yeah, so let's not forget, you just said, too, that, you, of course, you're a teenager during this time, so you're still going to school, um, just trying to – Juggle also having a social life as any um, 15, 16, 17 year old does. What was it like having to move between the different leagues and everything? Were you having to go live with a bunch of different billet families as well, like a lot of junior leagues set up are? Or was it easier for you? What was kind of your experience having to move all around? Yeah, so I was really fortunate. Um, I lived with my parents when I played junior C my first year in junior um, then I was lucky enough to actually get signed by Trenton, which is only about a half an hour from Coburg where I'm from. So again, I could stay with my parents, uh, for that, just a little bit more driving every morning, but obviously that's not a big deal. And when you look in the grand scheme of things and how far people drive to play this game. So 
was really lucky there and then had two unbelievable seasons with the Trenton Golden Hawks and then decided that it was time to kind of leave home to pursue that division one scholarship and thought the BCHL was going to be the best route for me. So ended up, uh, packing up pretty much overnight and then flew out to BC where I ended up having a roommate and, um, a billet family as well. So it was a little bit of a change, but was lucky enough to have the support from my parents and Prince George is a hell of an organization and they looked after us well there. Yeah. So you moved the OJHL and the BCHL. What was the reason for all those moves? Did you just want to did you just have those different opportunities? Was it just like, yeah, I just, I want to try different things. What was the reason why? So when I was with Trenton, we had actually been to two back-to-back RBC cups. So the national championship there in Canada for junior A, uh, the teams that we were playing against from the BCHL and Brooks from the AJ and some other teams across the country, they just had way more division one commits and we were right there with them kind of thing. So there wasn't a reason why we shouldn't have had, similar numbers in that sense so I kind of just thought it was um kind of like a viewership thing for lack of a better term and just kind of get eyes from scouts and coaches on on you a little bit more in those leagues so I figured I had uh had my two RBC runs in Ontario and it was just kind of time to switch something up so your final year um before moving on was in the BCHL as you mentioned you had a really strong season with the Bruce George Spruce Kings, which ultimately led you to having offers to play um, at the university level, et cetera. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of pressure when you're living in Canada that if you want to become a pro hockey player, um, the suggested route, I imagine, is the junior route, whether it's junior A, junior B. Um, did you feel that pressure? Were you encouraged to explore other options like university? What was kind of the uh, what was kind of going on in your life then? Yeah, I think everybody in Ontario, when you're going through your minor midget season, uh, the OHL is just kind of rammed down everybody's throat at that point in time. And players just accept it. And that's kind of the be all end all is to make it to the OHL and things like that. Um, from a young age, like really young, I think I was like nine. I was like, yeah, I want to play for you, the University of Michigan. Like, that's my thing. Like, I just want to go to school. I don't care about major junior just want to make it to school and then play pro hopefully. So I uh, kind of put all my eggs in one basket to try and get a division one scholarship, which didn't end up working out. And then I had a couple offers from U sports schools in Canada and uh, the hockey there. It's, I think it's a little bit undercover. Um, there's teams that kind of beat D one teams, keep it close with D one teams during our exhibition schedule and things of that nature. So I thought it was a cheaper option than D3 and just like more beneficial for what I wanted to do. I used, cause when I was in high school and everything, like grades were important. Education's always been important for me. So I just went with my gut and decided to stay in Canada and do U sports instead of D3. And so far it's worked out. Yeah. So I'm sure you had a lot of other offers, whether it be U sports, D3, D2, whatever it may be. What led your decision to committing to the university of Windsor specifically? Yeah, so there was probably four schools in the final kind of process to pick one. Uh, I talked to Kevin Hamlin from Windsor, and he kind of spewed out what I wanted to hear. And obviously, other schools were doing the same. I just had kind of this gut feeling that Windsor was the spot for me. Obviously, COVID took a big chunk out of that four years, but 
Um, I'm happy with my decision. I've made friends for life from the school, not just in hockey, but from class and things like that. So um, if I could do it all over again, I'd probably do it the exact same way. So, you know, you go on to study, you play at the university level. And according to the timeline, you were only there, I believe, for three years. Did you graduate, leave early for a specific reason? Because you did go pro that next season. So Yeah, so I got my first two years in kind of without any disruptions um the end of the second year there is when COVID hit and life kind of got put on pause especially in Canada and Ontario specifically for a couple years there so I was actually going to come back for my fourth senior season which would have been last year so I was actually at school for September and October and then decided that with classes being online and just kind of where my mind was at at that point in time I didn't see a point of staying when I could make the, I thought I could make the jump right away. So instead of playing that fourth year, I finished my degree off online and signed at Fort Wayne and kind of bounced to Kansas city there. And it wasn't easy with school and everything like that, but got it done and enjoyed that first year a lot. So I think it was the right call at the right time. So what was the story of you signing your first pro contract? Did you have an agent Mm -hmm. at the time? Did they call you? How did that even come about? (laughs) Uh, this is actually a great story. So I actually just recently got an agent like a month ago. So I was riding solo for my entire career pretty well. I had a guy helping me in junior, but it wasn't anything too serious. But uh, I came home or I went to the rink for practice and my coach at school had some things to say to our decor that I didn't necessarily agree with. And as a senior, I wasn't... Uh, wasn't about to put my potentially last year of hockey because uh, obviously going pro is never a sure thing, but I wasn't about to kind of give that power to somebody else's hands. So I decided to kind of make a move for me. And I had two friends that had played for Fort Wayne years, years and years before. And I was kind of just kind of, I don't know, picking their brains a little bit about what they think I should do, where I should go, if they knew anybody who could help me kind of with the process. And one of my buddies was actually like, hey, uh, you should actually just DM their assistant coach on Instagram. Like, he won't mind. And like, if it works, it works. I was like, ah, you know what? Like, weirder things have happened. So I found uh, Olivier Legault on Instagram, sent him a DM, said, hey, this is kind of the story. I'm looking to come play pro. And he immediately, I sent my number at the end of the DM, had a call like five minutes later. He's like, we're low on D. We need guys. Like if, if you're serious, I'll pass your name on to Ben Boudreau or head coach and we'll go from there. And then two hours later, I get a call from the head coach, Ben Boudreau. And he said, Hey, like, we want to do this. So like, are you serious about coming? Like make it known, like, not up or shut up pretty much like you're coming and you're saying so now or you're not coming and this is the end and I said no I'm I'm invested like let's get this done so I had the contract in my email later that night I had to go home and tell the girlfriend that I lived with that <laughs> I was uh packing up and moving out sort of thing and she understood we're still together now so obviously that worked out well but it was uh pretty crazy and the next day by 10 a.m., I was packed up in the car on my way to Fort Wayne. 
So did they not have any knowledge of how you played before? Did you have to send them videos or was it like, hey, come on down and play with the team and we'll see if you're good enough. If not, we'll cut you. How did that happen? I think it was a little little bit of both. So um, I think the two hour time difference between when Legs had called me and when from when Benny had called me, I think Benny was probably watching some video, doing some research and obviously doing the old Google watch whatever fights I had in junior stuff like that. So I I'll never forget it. I remember uh, I think I got down on a Thursday morning. They had pushed practice back uh, a couple hours later so I could get my physical done and everything like that. So I could play Friday and pretty much, I think it was Thursday morning met Ben and he said, yeah, like as long as you're, you can skate and pass a puck, like, we only have five D so you're in the lineup tomorrow. And I said, okay. And now at this point, the last hockey game I had played was 23 months prior. Wow. That was the last so, time you had played a competitive game basically, or just. Yeah. Yeah. So the last time due to COVID, the last time I had played a legit officiated refereed sanctioned game was 23 months before that. So were you able to practice or do much? Because we do like to find out kind of what pro athletes in general were doing at this time. Because, I mean, that had to be a really big struggle, you know, as, a, as an, an aspiring pro musician. You know, I, I was in a band that was touring around the United States and it basically killed the music industry and killed the band because we couldn't tour. We couldn't do anything. So as a pro athlete, I imagine it was very stressful. You were just beginning your pro career as well. Um, I know it was a little bit after, kind of still still in school during that weird time period. But uh, were you able to practice? How how were you able to kind of stay in in shape and, and then game ready? I'd been twenty three months. I mean, bro, that's I mean, yeah. It's is really talented now. It was really uh, it was really difficult. Um, Ontario did not help. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you're going three months. Every, everything's open obviously you slept a distance and stuff like that so I'd skate for two three months kind of feel like I'm an athlete again like okay like okay I'm getting my groove back a little bit I feel good on the ice like every time I skate now it's I'm not going home to ice my hips things like that and then all of a sudden it's like ah oh, no we're shutting down again two months shut down can't do anything um uh, during the winter months, like obviously you can go out and play pond hockey and stuff, but that's obviously not the same at all. And then it'd be like, okay, we're open again. So then you go back and you grind through because you can't even really stay in the gym. It's winter months, gym's closed. Like there's only so much that you can do. You head back after two, three months being off and all of a sudden it's like square one all over again. Let's go. And then I was unlucky enough to break my foot really badly during COVID too. So I gained a bunch of weight because it was a four month uh, recovery and it was during while the gyms were closed, weather wasn't nice enough to be outside. Obviously my foot hurts, let alone being in a boot, having to try and get around everywhere. So I think I packed on like 35, 40 pounds. And then this summer leading up, so it would have been June, July, August, I spent really grinding spent all my money i was skating with every junior team in the area every there's some days i'd be in a car for six hours just driving to different rinks just skating as much as possible to try and get back to where i was and eventually i ended up doing it and 
the job got done and I'm probably in the best shape. Probably, yeah, best shape I've been in in a long time now. So it all worked out. So I, I'm sure it was tough to just adjust getting back into, you know, competitive mindset and playing, you know, full pace games like that. But was it tough to adjust when you got to the ECHL? I know that you were a tough, a rough and tumble player in juniors. You you played that similar North American style, um, but college is much different, full cages and everything. And then a 23-month layoff, was it tough to adjust that style again? I mean, you got grown-ass men feeding their families and fighting all the time. I mean, was that like a wake-up call where you just like, yeah, this brings me back to juniors? Uh, I mean, the leagues I played in in juniors, obviously they're a little bit more focused on – providing uh commitments like division one so there wasn't a ton of fighting in the junior a compared to major junior but i mean obviously i got my fair share that was kind of my thing um went to school um still played the same style like i was still hitting running my mouth just kind of being an a bit of an idiot like that but obviously school fighting is a no-no and I kind of, it's funny because I talk about the layoff with COVID, but my first year I actually got in a fight at school. We were playing uh, the Western Mustangs and I ended up getting four games because I fought two guys kind of in the same stoppage of whistle at school. And it was the last game before we went into Christmas break. So all of December I had off and then I was suspended. So our coaches didn't want me playing in the exhibition schedule. And then I had four games after that. So it was like seven weeks without a game. And I was sitting there, I was like, this sucks. Like, why'd I do that? Like, uh-huh. I just want to play hockey. And then I look back at it now and I'm like, seven weeks was nothing. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Nothing compared to 23 months. Well, so then uh, this season, then you, I mean, you had decided to now, um, well, actually, before we get to going to the EIHL, I do want to ask this. Uh, you moved on to, what was it, Kansas City Mavericks, correct, from Fort yeah. Wayne? Were you traded? Were you moved? Or you said that they had too many players? What was the story there? Uh, so Fort Wayne wanted – they had, I can't remember his name now. I should know this. But Kansas City had a player assistant coach who was a veteran D-man. So Fort Wayne really wanted him to make a push for um, the Kelly Cup. But – Kansas city had informed them that the only way that the trade would happen is if I went the other way. So it was a trade and Kansas city was okay. Um, I ended up getting kind of shafted around there a little bit and that, which that's kind of what led me to sign in Europe to start was I thought they were going to hold my rights and I didn't want to go back. So that's kind of what led into the Manchester signing there. So what, what was it like being traded? We've heard, all sorts of crazy stories. Of course, it's crazier uh, back in the day, you know, 90s and, and early 2000s. But, uh, I mean, did they give you a call? Did You know, after practice, did you get called into the office? And they said, hey, you got to you gotta leave by tomorrow. You got to tell your girlfriend you're leaving again. I mean, what was that? What was the story? So this is actually a bit of a crazy story. And, if, like, Fort Wayne's a pretty high high-class organization. So they handled it really well. But the story is still funny. So we were actually on a road trip, our out-of-conference road trip. So we had played in Wooster twice, and we were heading up to Adirondack to continue the road trip. So I think that's like a 14- or 15-hour bus trip from Fort Wayne. So we actually decided to do our rookie party uh, after one of the Wooster games in Boston. 
And then the next day we had off, it was just a travel day up to Adirondack. So obviously as a rookie and I'm feeling the effects of the night before a little bit. So just hop on, hop on the bus, crawl on a bunk, try and keep the head low, just make it through the trip, make it through the day and be back ready for tomorrow. But we're about halfway to Adirondack and I get a tap on my leg and it was uh, the head coach. He's like, Hey, let me talk to you for a second. So hop off the bus at a gas station get told that I was being traded to Kansas city. And I was like, Oh, this is not the timing for this right now. I am way too hungover for this. (laughs) So ended up just hop back on the bus and I had made a lot of really close friends there. So it wasn't, uh, didn't want to get traded, but obviously it's a business and that happens. So it was more of a, Oh my God, like, I'm in New York, my stuff's in Indiana, and now I've got to go to Missouri. So <laughs> got a, got on a flight the next day. Um, okay. Flew well, back you didn't play before. the game last year, right? No. Okay, I was about to say, I assume you didn't, but. <laughs> so, no. so just in the press box, like, were you able to go in the locker room? Uh, no, I just stayed in the hotel pretty much, and <laughs> the guys brought back my uh, equipment to the hotel and stuff, so left the hotel with just everything didn't really see everybody before I left kind of thing. It was like good old Irish exit flew into, flew into Fort Wayne or no, I flew into Detroit. They canceled all my flights to Fort Wayne. They canceled. They tried to get me to stay in a hotel, fly to Minneapolis, fly to Chicago and then fly to Fort Wayne. I was like, no, I'll just get somebody to pick me up from Detroit and take me to Fort Wayne. I'm not doing that. So of course, (laughs) <laughs> to cap the story out, there's a big snowstorm coming in. I'm like, okay, I got to get to my apartment, pack this up, pack the car, and I need to beat this snowstorm. I did not beat the snowstorm. <laughs> but if I wasn't there for practice the next day, I wouldn't have been able to play in the first game on the Friday. So I think this was like a Thursday again or something. So I left Albany, New York at 6.30 in the morning. And when I finally got to Kansas city after the snowstorm and everything, I think it was like nine 30 in the morning practice was at 10 the next day. So I was went out and I was like, guys, this is, this is tough. Like I'm hurting right now. I just drove and flew and packed up and this has not been a good 24 hours. Jeez. So, I mean, through all that bad timings, then you do reach the off season as we were just about to get to, um, and I don't know if this is when you finally got your agent. I know you said this season or this year you finally got one. How did you link up with uh, Manchester? And then you ended up in the UK. So not only were you fretting about moving everywhere in the United States, now you're flying over the country for the first time. So what what was that story about? Yeah, so um, actually the same guy who put me on to the assistant coach at in Fort Wayne, he ended up going over and he played for Manchester and he played in Denmark and – couple other guys I knew who went over and they all used um, a similar guy over there to help kind of just alleviate the process and he's from Manchester so I had a couple offers from European leagues over there and it uh, ended up I was just like you know what like yeah let's go I kind of always envisioned myself playing in Europe I didn't think it would happen that fast I kind of wanted to see how well I could establish myself in the coast maybe make a push for an eight call up at some point and that's kind of back on the mentality where I am now but I was like oh you know what 
I was going to do it in four years anyways. I might as well just do it now, go over, get the experience. And it was a great time. I mean, the living in Manchester's next to none. It's incredible. Um, their rink's pretty tough and we weren't doing too well as a team and things just kind of weren't clicking. So I was like, you know what? I'm turning 25 soon. I don't really have time to waste a year of my um, year of my prime, I guess you could say, really. So I was like, I'm going to go back to the coast. Um, had other European teams calling me, but I was like, no, nah, I kind of think I just want to be in the coast, my style. I know what to expect, things like that. So I came home and just kind of waited for a deal, which took probably you know, two or three days for Cincy to come in. I knew that was a bit of a rental situation just with how many guys they had hurt and how many guys they had up in the A, but figured it was just a good opportunity to kind of get my toes back in the league and show that I can still play here and things like that. And then eventually Toledo picked me up. So were you just able to like speak with the coach or GM of Manchester and just go, Hey, um, this isn't working out for me personally. And what I'm trying to do in my career at this point at the age of 25 um, can we just void this and can I just go back home? Was it that easy? Cause it kind of just sounds like you were just able to kind of go. And I know sometimes with certain contracts, it's very tough to leave a team like that if they don't want you to leave, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they were, they were good about it for the most part. Obviously they weren't thrilled and they're sure. obviously when things get heated, there's words that are said that people may not mean or whatever. That's kind of beside the point, but they bought my flight home and that was about it. They uh, kept all my sticks and it was kind of a bit of a bit of a jumbled process to get my money back from there too. Cause they owed me for a full month. So I actually recently just got that. So. Oh geez. Yeah. It was a little bit uh, of a process to kind of clear it all up and everything, but it got done. So it is, so it is at that point. So would it, would you ever be open to returning to Europe at all in the future? Or is it just like my plan right now is I just want to grind it out in the North American pro circuit. What's kind of like, would you ever go back? Um, I'd think about it. It would have to be quite the numerical offer to actually get me to go over again. But I mean, I'm happy here. So if something's not broken, don't fix it. Learned that a bit of the hard way with going over there. And I mean, I like the physical style. I like the game here and uh, I love it here in Toledo. Like, couldn't be a better spot, better setup. Team's great. Guys are amazing. So as long as that all stays intact, I just don't see myself wanting to leave. Yeah. So what's your contract right now? Are you just signed through Toledo this season? Or are you planning on staying next season what's kind of the the goal right now for you uh the goal right now is kind of just solidify myself uh for a playoff roster spot okay. so obviously i think we just traded the defenseman this morning but and another one left last week so we we're actually running 10 healthy d and that's not sustainable but um Obviously, guys get dropped down from the A. There's college signings and stuff like that that are going to be coming up here shortly. And my goal is just when that playoff roster gets announced to be one of the seven or eight D-men on it. And, yeah, so in, <laughs> the contract kind of goes until they say, no, we don't need you or whatever till the end of the season or that last playoff game. But 
I mean, I'm happy with it here. They seem to be happy with me. Um, obviously, if the opportunity arises, I'd love to sign for next year at some point. But obviously, that's more of like a summer conversation I'll have with coaches and things like that. But right now, it's just kind of put put my nose down, go to work, show what I got, and pray that that's enough. <laughs> yeah. So any other uh, big plans then? I mean, you know, for this summer and the future, or is it just right now you're taking it one season at a time, just focusing on hockey specifically? Anything else going on? Yeah, it's one season at a time. Um, my girlfriend's pretty busy right now with like her master's and she works full time and things like that. So being, and now I'm only an hour away from Windsor, which is where she's located. So it makes things pretty easy in that sense too. But while she's busy with that, I think just focus on hockey, try and see where I can take it as far as I can go. Um, I do have my degree, like we talked about earlier. So I've got a honors in business administration specialized in supply chain management and analytics. So Last summer, kind of got into my field a little bit, working for a plumbing distribution company called Noble out of Windsor. So for the summer, it'll probably be that, probably keep going back there, just kind of building relationships throughout that organization and kind of making a seamless transition, hopefully at some point when I decide that the game's not really doing it for me anymore. So yeah, well, unfortunately... Yeah, unfortunately, that time comes for everybody. I hope mine's not for years to come. But obviously, when people get families and obviously with the housing market and things like that, sometimes a co-salary is not going to cut it until you're 35, 40. Well, hopefully, uh, after your, your girlfriend gets the master's degree and everything, hopefully that can help. So that way you could stay in the league for a little while longer, just keep climbing until you're too old, you know. <laughs> Yeah, she can be my sugar mama, hopefully. Yeah, Let take me do care my of thing. <laughs> well, Chase, I won't take too much of your time, so we're going to go to the lightning round uh, questions now. Um, I'm going to shoot, like, popcorn quick questions at you. If you have, like, a single word answer, if you have a story, the floor is yours. Let's do it. Who is or was the toughest goalie to score on in your career so far? Uh, I'd have to go with Daniel Urbani. Yeah. He played in Trenton and then had uh, – and I, I couldn't shoot like I shoot now back then. And he was a full-blown best goalie in the league, all Canadian Junior A. And then he went D1 to Canisius. And I'm actually not sure if he's still playing or not. But just I know going into practice and stuff like that, like just from what I remember, I'd say given skill sets at the time, that through my career is probably the hardest for me to crack. Do you have any weird or strange pregame superstitions or rituals? <laughs> uh, pretty consistently go to the bathroom at the same time. Um, tape my like stick right the same way. What's that? Like right before a game? Like Yeah, it's kind of like I get to the rink and I know exactly what I'm going to be able to do. Uh, pre take my pre-workout, stuff like that. And then I know when I need to go and relieve some pressure yeah. and then uh just kind of go do that so that's kind of like clockwork um left skate gets tied before the right one all the time chew two pieces of gum all the time throughout the game switch it up periods kind of i don't know little weird stuff nothing major which arena so far has had the worst ice conditions to play on manchester by a million miles 
Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. We always hear, especially in the East Coast, uh, the Everblades, Florida. Any Florida teams normally I hear are pretty bad. Yeah, I couldn't imagine the amount of money they'd have to spend just for the cooling system to keep that going. And obviously with uh, just the moisture levels in the air down there, it's got to be yeah. difficult. So I haven't uh, had the pleasure going down to Florida yet to play anybody. So I'll let you know how that goes. Which one has had the worst locker room? <laughs> Manchester. Manchester again. Yeah, that rank is just not doing it. Who so as a defenseman, when I ask this question, who's the toughest player you played against? Not fighting wise, but like moving somebody out in front of the net, or um, a guy or a winger coming down the wing and hitting up against wars. Is there anybody that's just been really strong or that stood out to you? Uh, yeah, there's a couple guys. Um, I'm gonna have to go with Justin Vive from Cincy, though. Um, we had a couple big battles last year and he's just a mammoth. Like he's six, six, I think two thirty five or two forty. very little body fat, just plays the front of the net, plays the boards, works his ass off. So I have to say he's probably one of the tougher ones to handle. Uh, which is the rowdiest or what, who has been the rowdiest fan base for you so far? Oh, it's Toledo. I think by far. Okay. Yeah, I know yeah. Toledo's always packed out, it seems like, the 5,000 or more when I see the game attendance. Yeah, I think uh, since I've been here, I don't think we've had a game under 8,000. Wow, that's pretty yeah. incredible. We're actually, I don't, I don't know if I had mentioned this earlier, I don't think I did. My father and I, we, you know, from Boston, but uh, we moved here to Tulsa, Oklahoma 10 years ago. So we go to the Oilers games all the time. And, uh, you know, they got that nice rink, you know, if you remember playing the BOK Center, yeah. Um, I wish they had more people that came out because playing in such a, you know, literally an NHL team could play there, you know, uh, it, it makes it seem so small, but you know, it's normally not too bad, you know, so it's good that Toledo packs it out though. It's, that's good. Yeah. Um, you get a couple of the bigger arenas where you kind of, you still get good numbers, right. but having 5,000 and a 15,000 seat rink seems like a right. lot less than 5,000 and a 6,000 seat capacity. Yeah, absolutely. What has been the most embarrassing thing to happen to you during a game or warm-up? Oh, I'm never going to live this down. So, obviously, <laughs> last year I was in Fort Wayne, and we have some uh, – obviously, the rivalry is still there between Fort Wayne and Toledo. Um, one of my closest friends on Toledo now is actually Brandon Hawkins. And he's an unbelievable player, super skilled, probably the best shot that I've been on the ice with in my career. But last year, well, he wasn't really my guy at all. I just got posterized for it on SportsCenter when he skated on the back of the net full speed in Michigan. Me ended up being goal of the year. And then I was and SportsCenter number two. And at the end of the clip, you can just see him celebrating my name bar like <laughs> right in the bottom of the screen. And I, yeah, that one comes up a lot now because obviously Hawk lets me hear about it quite a bit and I'll be on the bus asleep for four hours, open my phone or something. And I've just got a video or a screenshot of the sports center top 10 from him. Just yeah. let me know that he did that to me. So yeah, that has to be number one. That'll never be let down. No, well, never. I know that this last question is pretty broad and pretty generic, but, uh, and your, your career is so young too. What has been the most fond memory of your hockey career so far? 
Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I only have one professional goal and I was able to score it while my dad was actually in the building and I scored in Fort Wayne. So to score in the first building where I signed pro to have family there, obviously I don't score a lot. So it's kind of special in that sense. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Take that's hard to the, when I was in BC, we had one of the youngest teams in the league. We went to the league final with a young team. I was one of the older guys. So that was obviously, obviously extremely special. First pro contracts, extremely special. Couple championships, like obviously lifting those trophies in Trent. And I'm never going to forget that and ever. I don't know. It's hard to pick one, but those would definitely be uh, the contenders for it for sure. Awesome. Well, Chase, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Officially on air, we'll say goodbye, but uh, we'll, we'll say goodbye off air as well. So officially, I appreciate you coming on again, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I had a ton of fun. Appreciate it. All right. I won't take up too much time, but Chase Rudy, great guy. Great conversations. Unfortunately, again, my dad couldn't be here today. Um, stay tuned because uh, we've been working hard, getting a lot of guests back in our schedule. Um, so you're going to be seeing some familiar faces, especially if you're involved, ECHL, EIHL crowd, um, things like that. We like to have those guys on. Um, I know people have been messaging us, asking us when next time we're going to have like a big NHL or on. It's it's like, you know, we, we just, we hit up who we can hit up when we get, you know, we schedule who we can schedule. So, you know, we're trying our best, but you know, to us, it doesn't, we don't like go for certain people or big fishes or anything. You know, we'll just, whoever's available to do it and whoever we think would be a good fit on the podcast, we do. So just keep in touch with us and our page, check us, our, you know, lindrothockeypodcast.com stay up to date, but these guys uh, messages and stories are incredible too, compared to any NHL guys. So just stay tuned, listen to this. Cause these guys are awesome. We love having them on. Much respect to them, and they're chasing the same dream um, these other guys are as well. So it's all um, respectful of what they do, and we appreciate it always. So thank you again, Chase, uh, for coming on the show. This is episode 116. Thank you all for tuning in today.